1 Peter chapter 3, as we read earlier, 1 Peter chapter 3, if you want to turn there in your Bibles. Now, I do want to tell you, if you're a person that takes notes, uh, that's great. If you're not, you may want to tonight. Uh, we're going to do a lot of, I'm going to preach, but we're going to do a lot of teaching tonight. We're going to do a lot of uh, learning from the Word and just, uh, that mask going to do me a lot of good on the ground, is it? We're going to do a lot of learning from the Word and, and, uh, and really considering some, some doctrine that we hold as believers in the church. We're going to talk about baptism tonight, and we're going to remember our baptism to conclude our service tonight. And uh, as we do this, I, I want to begin by saying, you know, human beings have a way of making things complicated. It's just something we do. And it's no different when it comes to things in the church. We take something that, it can be complex. I mean, God is, a, is an almighty God that is complex. There's a lot of mystery there. But we like, we like to add extra mystery that's not even really necessary. And so as we talk about baptism tonight, <coughs> excuse me, part of what I'd like to do is I'd like to answer some questions that we have commonly in the church. Some things that come up over and over and over again. Um, in the last two months alone, I'll tell you an issue that I have, I have faced when it comes to baptism that I, I'd like to address tonight. And uh, we're going to have some, some baptism questions or answers to address some questions. And, and I want to share with you, as I talk about these things, Depending on what your background is, I know we have folks online from all different backgrounds. Even in the room, we have folks from all different backgrounds. And I don't want you to feel like I'm stepping on anyone's toes. In fact, I'm going to begin by saying that a lot of misunderstandings we have are not the, the, uh, the fault does not lie with the person who has the misunderstanding. And a lot of times, it's just the fact that uh, the preachers and the teachers in the churches have not taught on this as well as they could have. And so we're going to look at baptism, and I want to begin with some of the hot topics when it comes to getting baptized. The first is this, infants or adults? Infants or adults? There's the big question, can we baptize only adults who believe in Jesus Christ, or can we baptize infants as well? And, and I, I'm, I may upset you with this answer, but uh, who knows? The truth is that in the, in the early church, uh, there was certainly infant baptism taking place. In the Bible, we don't see any direct reference to infant baptism, but we do see encounters where whole, it says whole households are baptized. So that, what that tells us is even the, the slaves in that culture, the, the servants, the slaves, the, the husband, the wife, the brothers, the sisters, the children, it implies that the whole household would be baptized, which tells us good chance that infants were as well. If we celebrate infant baptism, then what we're celebrating is the prevenient grace of God. John Wesley called it prevenient grace, justifying grace, and sanctifying grace. And what he meant by that was when you baptize an infant, what you're celebrating is the fact that it was grace in the first place that even allows us to respond when we come of age. So when we baptize an infant, we're essentially saying we're celebrating the grace that has been extended to this child before they were ever able to accept it. Now the parents and the church family have the responsibility of raising that child to make the decision to follow Christ. Unfortunately, one of the negative sides about this is there are traditions that believe that baptism itself saves you. And so a lot of traditions baptize infants because they believe that that is a way to save the child from eternal damnation by baptizing them. That's simply not true. Other traditions believe that only adult baptism is appropriate because you are old enough to respond to Jesus Christ in faith. And so what that baptism is celebrating primarily is justifying grace. That you have made a decision to follow Christ and you are now justified through Christ and we celebrate what is going on in that encounter. 
So I'm not going to answer infants or adults which one's right, which one is wrong. And the, what I'm going to teach you tonight is that I don't think it matters quite as much as we make it sound like it matters. I want to begin by going ahead and nipping in the bud the next question, which is, does baptism save you or not? Now, these may be easy answers, things that you already know, but I, I, they are questions that are out there, and I do want to address them. So does the act of baptism, when you are submerged under the water, if it's as a child, uh, you have the water sprinkled on your head, does that offer you salvation? And the simple answer is, no, it does not. Baptism is an outward sign of an inward grace. All you're doing in baptism is you are celebrating and testifying to what God has done inside of you. You are outwardly celebrating what has happened. It's an outward sign of an inward grace. The last question that is frequently comes up, uh, at least in a pastoral role, is can you be baptized more than once? Can you be baptized more than once? And the answer to this is also extremely complicated. I don't know that it matters quite as much as we, said. we want it to matter, to be honest, but uh, most folks will tell you you can't be baptized more than once. My response is, if you were baptized at an early age and you have no idea what it meant or what the significance was or even really that it happened, I would say that it's okay for you to get baptized again because there's nothing wrong with celebrating that inward grace now that you understand what it means. You can call it remembering your baptism. You can call it reaffirming your baptism if it makes you feel better. But in the end, I don't know that it matters. Let me tell you what I do believe matters. I believe it matters that when we talk about baptism, celebrate baptism, partake in baptism, that we understand what it is that Christ is doing in our hearts, because otherwise we don't understand that outward symbol of an inward grace. Amen? So my objective tonight is that we study baptism, that we're going to look at 1 Peter chapter 3, talk about the context of this scripture, and we're going to dive in to understand what it is baptism means. And the way that we're going to do that is we're going to look at five core images of baptism. Now, I want to be up front with you. Five core images of baptism is not something that the Bible says there are five core images of baptism. However, I think that the Bible absolutely affirms each one of these images, these representations that are present in baptism, and so I do want to, to go over them. Five core images of baptism. As we do this, I, the important thing I want you to remember is that uh, too often we look at baptism as a landing zone, and baptism is not a landing zone. It is a launch pad. It is your celebration of what God has now done in you and what you're going to do with it. You're going to bring it to the outside and begin to live out what God is working in your midst. And so it's a, a launch pad, not a landing zone. I want to tell you that each of the scriptures I'm going to share with you tonight would be wonderful memory verses. If you jot them down, they'd be wonderful memory verses. I can give you to them later that you would remember these five core images. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, verses 18 through 22. 1 Peter gives this letter. The purpose of the letter is to write to the early church to say, I know that you're facing temptations. I know that you're facing trials. I know that you are living in a world and in a culture that doesn't match what you have now said you believe. And so I want to give you some guidelines and some encouragement about what it looks like to be the body of Christ. This is the context where he encourages by reminding them that Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but he was made alive in the spirit. This is what we believe. After being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah, while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. 
a remnant, if you will, from that first, that flood that wiped out the earth. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body. No, notice that. It saves you also, not from the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience toward God. I don't want that to confuse you, because it says baptism saves you also. What it means is that baptism is that outward sign. It's not saying baptism saves you. It says not from dirt on the outside, but a clear conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, verse 21, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. Let's break this down, church. The first thing that I want you to see when it comes to baptism is baptism celebrates the death of the old you. Baptism celebrates the death of the old you. Paul says in the letter to the Galatians in chapter 2, verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me, and the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul says, listen, that old you, that you that was broken, it was corrupted, it was tainted, it was destined for damnation and death. That old you, it's not like it was just put on the back burner. It has been crucified with Christ. It no longer exists. It has been put to death. And when you go under that water in baptism, that symbol number one, you go under the water and you put to death that old you. It's an outward sign saying, you know what? That me that Jesus died on the cross for, I'm putting that me to rest, never to come up again. I was watching a show this week that talked a lot about Alcoholics Anonymous, and I, I hear that familiar speech, and some of you maybe have partaken at some point in it, and I, I visited a couple times, but you begin with saying something along the lines of, hi, I'm Rudy, an alcoholic. And while this process has been proven to be effective for so many people, when it comes to your faith, it's a little bit different because you wouldn't say, hi, I'm Rudy, a sinner. Now, we say it a lot. It's a Christianism. We say, I'm a broken sinner in need of salvation. I, I am without Jesus, but Jesus has put that me to rest. And so you can't, like a, an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting, you wouldn't stand as a Christian. You wouldn't say, hi, I'm Rudy, a sinner. No, because I am no longer that. Jesus hasn't taken me and began to work on me, and there's going to be stages and steps where he cleanses me a little more. No, he took me, and it died with him on the cross. And that's a celebration. That's a wonderful thing, and, and I also think it breaks us free from a little bit of excuse-making. Because if my identification after I follow Christ is that I am still that old me a little bit, I'm still a little bit of a sinner, I'm still a little bit of that broken Rudy, then when I mess up, I can excuse myself because that's who I am deep down. But no, it doesn't mean you're going to be perfect, but Christ has taken that you. It's gone. There's no excuse. It is gone. It is put to death. Don't engage in it anymore. The old you has been put to death. The second representation in baptism is as you go under the water, you are brought back up, and as you come back up, you are now a new creation in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 is the second good memory verse tonight. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. Listen to that word, behold, the new has come. Church, how beautiful is it that not only has that old you that was broken and sinful been put to death, but the Bible says that this new you is something to behold when it comes up. It's something to witness and to celebrate and to say, oh, I'm so excited about who God has now made me. I'm a new creation made entirely new. 
In 1 Peter, Peter represents this in his writing. He says in verse 18, For Christ also suffered once for sin, the righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. Church, I can't tell you how vitally important it is to recognize how the gospel works, not just to recognize the gospel exists. For you to understand what happened on the cross and in the resurrection. Peter says Christ was put to death in the body, but he was made alive in the spirit. And we have to understand that when we celebrate our baptism, our faith in Jesus Christ, the salvation that he has offered, that this came by a painstaking process. There was a price that was paid, and you and I, the old us, is only put to death because Christ was put to death for us. And that the new us is only allowed to exist because the Spirit brought him back to life in his resurrection. You were bought at a price, and this is what we celebrate in baptism. I want to be honest with you. One of the things I love most about doing an infant baptism. Now, in our church with the sower, we've decided to do dedications. And and I want to be clear, that's similar. It's very similar because what you're saying is, I am celebrating that, that Christ has offered this child grace. And that we as parents and we as a church, we are dedicating this child to the Lord to say, we're going to raise this child to understand what I'm teaching you tonight. But one of the things that I loved when I served in the Methodist church about an infant baptism is the fact that it was all about Jesus. In fact, as I prepared the sermon tonight, I talked to the Lord and I said, Lord, I don't feel like I got enough funny stories in here. I don't feel like I have enough illustrations in here. And God said, you know what? Cut the fluff. Cut the fluff. It's about me. And infant baptism, what's so beautiful about it. Now, listen, that's one of the things I want to share with you is is this is why we need to teach on this. I can't count the amount of parents. They mean well. I love them. I'm not trying to pick on them. But the amount of parents that will send me a message as they have a young infant or child and ask, will you baptize my child? And I've never seen them in my life. Just last week, someone messaged me and they said, I I wanted to know, I heard that you would baptize my child and and we're not tied to a church or anything and, and you know, uh, but but we really want to get our child baptized. And and what that tells me is there's a, a misunderstanding there of what's taking place. Now, I'll tell you, I don't shoot them down outright. I say, listen, if you'll come to church for a while and and be around and let the congregation get to know you, we'll talk about dedication, and and I'll explain to you what it means and and why I won't baptize your child and, and love them in that way. But I think what's so beautiful about when it is a child, if done right and correctly, is that it's saying, look, this child has done nothing. They've done nothing. There is nothing about what's going on here that's about them if we do it correctly. It's all about what Jesus has offered them that they cannot even accept yet. And there's something beautiful about that because too often when I see a believer's baptism as an adult, we think it's about us. It's about, I made this decision and I want the world to know I made this decision. And there's beauty in that. That's a good thing. And I think you need to let the world know I have chosen to follow Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. But that should probably be the last thing you're celebrating in that moment. Because the first thing is this was done for me. This grace was undeserved. I didn't earn it. I didn't work for it. It was freely given to me by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so I have been put to death, the old me, and now I am a new creation. The third image that I want you to hear tonight and learn is that we are cleansed of sin. 
When you go under that water, there's that representation that you go under dirty and unclean, and through Christ, through his grace, you have now been cleansed. Peter says in verses 18 and verse 21 and 18, he says that the righteous, Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. I think it's not only important, church, that we remember that Christ died and resurrected, and that's the only way that we are saved, but that we realize that he didn't just die for us, he suffered for our sins. That he died because we were unrighteous, and he was righteous, and he took our unrighteousness upon himself so that we could be made clean. It's vitally important to the gospel. I'm going to be very frank with you. It doesn't matter if you believe that Jesus died and resurrected if you don't know that it's for you. That's intellectual belief. That, that means nothing. It doesn't matter if you don't realize it's for you. I taught a group of kids in the chapel at Chestertown Christian Academy this weekend, and I asked them a very, very simple question that I'll ask you tonight, and I want to tell you, don't feel like you have to say it out loud or raise your hand, but I want you to mentally respond to this question. Are you saved? Are you saved? Now, I want to be upfront with you. I, I'm fairly confident, and I could be entirely wrong, but I'm fairly confident that at least 90 to 95% of us, when I ask that question, I'm not sure about online, but a lot of us said yes. And so I have a follow-up question that's vitally important. What are you saved from? What are you saved from? Are you saved from hell? Are you saved from death? Are you saved from pain? Are you saved from sorrow? Are you saved from sickness? Are you saved from dying? What is it you're saved from? Because if at the core of your being you don't realize you are saved from sin and it happened at a cost, then I don't know that you're saved. I told the kids this week in chapel, and I told them up front, I said, look, guys, I love you. I turn backflips with you. I run around with you. I play games with you. I'll goof off with you. But I'm going to be very, very serious with you this afternoon. And their faces just kind of go. But here's the thing. If you walked around however long you've been alive, 15, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, however many years, and you had a 100-pound sack on your back weighing you down, and someone came and removed that sack from you, you would know instantly it was gone. Your posture would change. Your demeanor would change. Your outlook on life would change. Your ability would change. Your talents would change. Your focuses would change. Everything would change. It would be entirely different. And so I ask you again, are you saved? What are you saved from? You are cleansed from sin. 1 Corinthians 6, 11 is the third memory verse I encourage you to, to remember tonight. Such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. You were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified. You have been made clean. And I don't know about you, but every time I hear something like this, I think about just how dirty I was. Just how freed I am that I have been washed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And as we, even tonight, as we go and we take this water, and I'm going to put it on your hands. I'm going to clean my hands first. But as I put it on your hands, and you choose, just feel it in your hands or, or place it on your head, I want to encourage you to, to just think about the cleansing that has taken place by you believing in Jesus Christ. And I, I want you to know that should be a tangible feeling. 
It's not just a prayer. It's a tangible feeling where you know Jesus has cleansed me and he has made me new. It doesn't mean you stop sinning, but I will tell you this. I heard a story this week about a young man who was nine years old and he listened to a sermon and at the end of the sermon he went to the pastor and he said, Pastor, I started a new relationship with God tonight. And this pastor, credit to him, he's a little stern and sounded a little harsh to me, but he looks at the nine-year-old kid and he says, well, that's great. Did you start a new relationship with sin? Because if not, you didn't start a new relationship with God. Did you start a new relationship with the Word of God? Because if not, you didn't start a relationship with God. There should be something that happens that is tangible and you feel it. It doesn't mean you're not going to sin anymore, but I will tell you this, you will feel it when you do. And at the point where you begin to not feel your sin anymore, it doesn't convict you, the Spirit doesn't just eat you up with guilt when you sin. You've probably been in that sin too long. And, and I want to warn you, that's dangerous. You are cleansed of your sin. Number four, you are empowered by the Spirit. We remember, if you remember at Jesus' baptism, he comes out of the water and the Holy Spirit comes down in the form of a dove and the Father says, this is my son. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. This is mine. This is my son. This is, this is the Messiah we've been waiting for. The Spirit confirms the baptism of Christ that this is the Messiah. Likewise, when you come out of the water, the pastor, if you'll remember, maybe you remember, maybe you don't, but the pastor will usually take oil and place it on your forehead and say something along the lines of, may the Holy Spirit make you a faithful follower of Jesus Christ. Church, you have been empowered by your faith in Christ. And I want to tell you tonight that if you're living with Jesus Christ, there should be power with that. Hear me. I looked at a doctrines this week and, a, and uh, I was looking at different formats and I was seeing a lot of doctrines on the Holy Spirit that they talked about power to preach and power to teach, but there was nothing about power to, to work in the Holy Spirit. And I don't know about you, but when I read God's Word and it says that in the early church they shared prophecy or they healed or they delivered, that may make you uncomfortable, but it's in Scripture and I believe that the God of Scripture is the God of today. He hasn't changed. You might have. He hasn't. And so if we see the early church casting out demons and healing people in the name of Jesus Christ, then we should expect that that is a normative part of Christianity. It's not an exception that we do every now and then. God operates by the power of the Holy Spirit always. This is a vital part of your salvation. Acts chapter 2, verse 38 is our fourth memory verse. And Peter said to them, Acts 2, 38, And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Spirit. Not you might, not you may, not it's possible. You will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You do not follow Christ without the Holy Spirit. If you have been saved or think you've been saved and you have not been given the Holy Spirit, you're not following Jesus. I don't know what you're following. You may intellectually believe. But you have been indwelled by the power of the Holy Spirit if you believe in Christ. You may not realize it yet. You may not be operating in it. But you have been filled with the Holy Spirit if you follow Christ. First Peter, in our, our verse in Peter, in, chapter, in verse 18, 
and says this. It says he's put to death in the body but made alive in the spirit. You need to recognize that the person and work of Jesus Christ was also empowered by the power of the Holy Spirit. From start to finish, this is done by the power of the Holy Spirit. Verse 22 says, Who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. Hear me. Jesus died for your sins, rose from the grave, ascended to heaven, and is seated at the right hand of the Father, and one day will return again to resurrect the living and the dead, to call us to him, to restore us, and make us new. And what we learn is that as he's there, he is in charge. He is King of kings and Lord of lords. And the Bible says that while he is there, he's seated at the right hand of the Father with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. That process, angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him, takes place on earth by the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, I'm sending a comforter, I'm sending an advocate, I'm sending the Holy Spirit who will make you more powerful than I have been with you. And so I've got to ask you, if Jesus said, I'm going to leave and the Spirit that I send is going to make you more powerful than I I was here on earth, why are we not powerful? Not as the world sees it. I'm not telling you to go run a Fortune 500 company or exert your authority over others, but I am asking you, why are we not healing? Why are we not delivering? Why are we not offering salvation with boldness and courage? Why are we not in the streets, not worried about what anyone says or does to us because we know the power of the Holy Spirit rests in me? Why are we not walking out on these streets and asking God, asking the Spirit to lead us to encounter others in the name of Jesus Christ? It is time, church, to confront powerless Christianity. It is time to walk not in our own power. Now listen to me, I want to be clear. If you go out there and you try to operate in your own power, you are going to crash and burn. Trust me, I've tried it. But if you will humble yourself to the power of the Holy Spirit, the Christian life is not powerless. It should not be. We're called to be humble. We're called to be kind. We're called to be gracious. We're called to be loving. We're called to to be folks that seek peace. But we are not called to be pushovers. Hear that. You are not called to be a pushover. You are called to share. I have been saved. I have been claimed. I have been sanctified. And the power of Christ lives in me. And I want you to see that power in everything that I do. In the encounter where you treat me like dirt and I decide to love you anyway, that's the spirit in me. In that encounter where there is nothing about you that deserves help and I help you anyway, that's the spirit in me. In that encounter where everyone around me is seeking to profit and get one up on each other and I choose to just steady on my way, trust the Lord, and that he will provide, that's the Spirit working in me. Your baptism signifies that you come out of that water, this new creation that is empowered by the Holy Spirit. And finally, church, our fifth and final symbol of baptism tonight is welcome to the church. Welcome to the church. Romans 12, 5 says, So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. In Peter's scripture that we're looking at tonight, he mentions Noah, and he says that long ago, when God waited patiently in the days of Noah, while the ark was being built, in it only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. Church, hear me. God will save those who accept 
his mercy. And he doesn't just do it for you personally. He does. He loves you individually. I believe he knew your name when he died on that cross. But he meant for you to do it together. I want you to just imagine for a moment that boat, that ark. Think about it. Think about all those years that Noah toiled and worked and broke his back making this giant ark. I remember going with my little brother to see the, the recreation of this thing. and Like, you have no idea. This thing is massive. It took so much work. But just imagine the day where they climbed into this ark and God sealed it shut. And the rains came and came and came and came and the floods rose and, and all of creation was wiped out. Humanity was devoured and then that, that door is sealed and you're on this boat and you look around and there's eight of you. Make no mistake, those eight people probably got so sick of each other. Think about it. I don't know about you, my mom's here tonight. I love my family, but I can tell you, if we go on vacation, there's some point during the vacation, if we're cooped up inside, we're going to be tired of each other. But I'll tell you this, we don't stop loving each other. We may not like each other some days, but we don't stop loving each other. And I can guarantee you, if for no other reason, when that ark was sealed up, those eight people knew that they may be blood family, but that wasn't what was keeping them most together. What was keeping them most together was the God of all creation looked at them and decided that they deserved his mercy. And it was a bond that I guarantee you could not be broken. They may have gotten at each other's throats, but I guarantee you, they each knew we were on this boat together for a reason. God has shown his grace, and that binds us together. A remnant saved by his grace. And I want to tell you tonight, church, that's you. And I have learned very quickly in my short time in ministry that we're not always going to get along. We're not always going to agree. We're not always going to like each other. But the saving grace of Jesus Christ should bind us together closer than any blood family that we've ever had. Jesus himself said, the, the folks came to him and said, your mother and your brothers are here. And Jesus said, who are my mother and my brothers? These, these that listen and follow my commands and follow me as my disciples, these are my family. These are the people I'm bound together with by the word of God and his mercy and grace. This is not something you do alone. And I especially want to confront those, I, I, those online. We're doing, we're doing a pandemic, and you absolutely, there are folks that you absolutely, I understand, you need to be online. You are safe where you are, and I respect that, and I, I respect that deeply, and I am so glad that you can be tuned in with us tonight. But I just want to go ahead and say it. I know there are those out there that are online because it's easy, it's convenient, and they don't see the value of being together. And to that, I want to say that's got to change. That's got to change. I also want to acknowledge for those of you online with us tonight, uh, if you want to visit, if you want to meet together and bring communion, if you're comfortable with that, I would be happy to do that because we were meant to do this together, to be a family and so in that baptism, we come out, Romans 12, 5 is that memory verse, so we though many are one body in Christ, and individually we are members of one another. We come out of that water, 
And one of the beautiful, most beautiful things I ever witnessed, if done correctly, is folks coming up out of that water and the whole congregation celebrating and loving on them. I've had services where it was all a mess. It was chaos. Like, we're trying to get things ready. Even tonight, I'm trying to get this bowl and the second bowl and getting that water done and getting the table and, and setting it like that. It was, it's been chaos before. We're literally like, it was not enjoyable to prep service. But I can tell you that when that person comes out of that water and enters into the family of God, there's no one in that room that's not excited. You are welcomed into the body of Christ. You are part of the family. And so church, I, I want you to see why Peter wrote these words. He caught every image that I just shared with you in this one passage of Scripture. He said, Christ was put to death, made alive. You were put to death, made alive. That symbology is there. He said, you have been cleansed of your sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that you have been cleansed by the water, not the removal of the dirt of the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience toward God. You've been cleansed of sin. He said, you are empowered by the Spirit. It's the Spirit that made Christ alive, and it's the Spirit that operates by Christ in, at the right hand of the Father. And finally, he said, you are welcome to the church. He talks about Noah and this remnant that are in that boat. And likewise, we are a remnant that are part of the church that now live together in unity as a family. We are bound by our relationship with Jesus Christ. And I want to add one more note on that, that image. I'm so thankful for y'all. I'm thankful for the folks that we're missing tonight. I'm thankful for this church family that we get to do this together. I'm excited about the ministry God is doing. We've seen some amazing things. I know we'll see tons more. I know that, that God is working in this ministry, but my heart should not be primarily or, or solely in this church. There are who knows how many churches in this town alone. And it's time for us to work together. That doesn't mean we, go to, we have to be at service at other churches every week or whatever, but, but we should acknowledge those are my brothers and sisters in Christ. I don't care what it is. If they're teaching the sound word of God, being true to the word, they're your brothers and sisters in Christ, and we should be with them. It shouldn't be competition. We are brought into this family as a whole. Church, I share all this the same reason that Peter shared it so long ago. Because I look at a church that's in a strange land, that's in uncertain waters, that's not always real sure what it's doing, that's facing trials and temptations, that sometimes I don't think we even know the cosmic battle that's going on around us, and meanwhile the enemy, the devil, attacks us left and right, and we don't even know there's a battle going on. And just like Peter, I want to step back. I want to step back and say, remember Remember what Christ has offered you. Remember your baptism. Hear me. Your salvation is more, so much more than just a prayer. God has begun a dynamic work in your life that God will see through to completion. And so I'm going to Lead us in prayer in just a moment. And I want to offer you, listen, I asked you that question, are you saved? And, and, and I got a feeling most of us probably in our minds at least said yes. And those online, I, I don't know. I, you're not here with me, so I don't know. But I want to at least offer, listen, if these things ring to you as something that you want desperately, that you want to place your, your faith in, I want to offer you the chance to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And I'm going to lead us in that prayer as the band gets ready to come up.
But I also want to offer this. As you come up here, in just a moment after this next song, we're going to remember our baptism. Now, I want to be clear. If you haven't been baptized, I encourage you to come up anyway. Um, again, baptism is not something where you are being saved by the water. There's no, like, magic. Now, God's blessing, the Spirit's in it. But there's no, like, magic. You can, you can still have this, this wake-up call tonight. But I do encourage you, it, it is um, a good thing and a right thing and a biblical thing for you to get baptized, fully immersed baptized. And I want to encourage you, if you were just antsy, like you were like, I've got to get baptized now, I believe that we shouldn't wait until a, a, a proper time or schedule. If you want to get baptized Come see me. Uh, I'll go with you tonight if you really wanted to, and we'll get in that river. Or we can connect and get a feed trough in here. I don't care. Let's make it happen. But I also want to encourage you, if you've not been baptized, to consider um, there's a membership form back there. There's a baptism form back there. Just check. Hey, I'm interested. I can talk to you about it. But I encourage you to do this anyway. And this is the way I want you to think about this. Recently, I worked at uh, the homeless shelter here in, in town, and uh, one of the things I had to do was, as I began to get sleepy, because I did, I, I realized I'm getting older, believe it or not. Some of you may know that. But um, I'm getting older, and so I would get really tired, because you're working 8 p.m. to 8 a.m. And I'm literally, like, I would go over there, and I would do push-ups and, like, squats and stuff and try to keep myself awake. But, but sometimes it got so bad, I got so drowsy, and I got so just, I, I couldn't keep my head up. And what I would do is I would go into the bathroom and I would run the faucet in cold water and I would just take that water and I would just splash it all over my face. And it was like this instant, oh, I'm awake now. I'm awake now. The first time I did it, the, the whole place, they were all asleep and I splashed the water on my face and I, I accidentally was like, whoo. And I thought, oh no, I've woken them up. But, but here's what I want you to consider tonight. Phyllis and I are going to lead you in a liturgy of remembering your baptism. And I want to deeply encourage you not to just come up and kind of splash around in the water or think, this is cute, I'm kind of glad we did it tonight, but to let this be a wake-up call, to ask, are these five things really true in my life? Am I living in these? Where can I work on? Where can I, where can I be more empowered by the Spirit? Or where can I uh, be more free of my guilt? Or where can I be more of this new creation that Christ has made? Where am I letting that old me come up a little more and just let this water wake you up? So the band's going to lead us in this song, The River, as I, right after I pray. And I want you to reflect on these things. Lord, I just thank you for this evening. God, I thank you for the opportunity to worship you. God, I thank you that you have begun such a wonderful work in our hearts, God, that you will see through to completion. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the anointing of your Holy Spirit here tonight. God, I, I thank you for every soul that's in this room and that's online. And I just pray that you would just bless us with your presence. God, we come down to the river tonight, Lord God, to just experience your love, your mercy, your grace, and your power, to remember our baptism and know how deeply loved we really are. So God, we thank you. And Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would, would work on the heart of anyone in person or online tonight, Lord God, that doesn't know you. And God, I just invite them at this time to accept these things we've talked about tonight as true. And Lord, as you work on the hearts of, of anyone that may be hearing the sound of my voice, I ask, Lord God, that they would pray this with me only if genuine and full of faith. Lord, I'm a sinner in need of salvation. And there's no other way but by placing my faith right now 
in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who died on the cross for my sins and my brokenness. And I believe, Lord, that on the third day he did not remain in that grave, but rose from the dead. And I believe that in his resurrection, I've been offered freedom from sin and death forevermore. I place my faith in the power of the Holy Spirit, which I believe you have sent for me to live my life in Christ. Amen.